This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, You Can Do It, and it comes from Philippians 4, 10 through 13. But before we start our lesson today, we're talking, could you use your support? Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's iTunes or Google or Spotify or Amazon. Search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, I believe we're just one more week away from wrapping up the book of Philippians. Today, we're going to look at Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Uh, Again, right in this little power verse section, we will see one of the most quoted verses, verse 13. But before I go to that, I really want to remind you about what we've seen in chapter 4. First, we really saw that we can have perfect peace. Having unity brings peace. When we have our joy in Christ, it brings that peace. And God's peace is perfect, and we can walk through anything, and we'll see that today. And then one of the other ways that we get that perfect peace is by putting what we believe into practice. Again, when we looked at verses 8 and 9, we saw that we were to think on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable. What is excellent and what is worthy of praise? And to think on those things and be careful and guard our minds because our minds start the process of sin. Sin starts with a thought. We talked about this last week, but Jesus gave us an example of this around sexual sin. He said when a man looks at a woman and has lust in his heart, he's already sinned whether he does any act or not. So what we need to realize is that we need to be careful about what we think about, and we need to think good thoughts. And that's what we saw in verses 8 and 9. And we were challenged in verse 9 to put it into practice. Well, we're going to see today that Paul starts talking about his peace, his contentment. And no matter what situation he is, he has that perfect peace because he can do all things through Christ, which strengthens him. With all that said, turn with me to Philippians 4. We'll start in verse 10. I'll be reading out of the ESV. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what Paul starts off right here in verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that you have a revived concern for me. Now, when you read that, it almost sounds like Paul was upset with them that all of a sudden he's mad that nobody's come to visit him, nobody's sent him anything. But then he really uh, expands on that in the second half of that verse where he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And what Paul is summarizing here is to trust God no matter what. Remember the context, Paul is in jail in Rome. And he's writing this letter to his fellow brothers and sisters at Philippi, or the Philippian church. And he says that he was enduring in jail. He says, I know you guys really wanted to help me, but you couldn't. There was no opportunity. And what he's saying there is that it's not like today where you and I can just run out, jump on a plane, go jump in the car and just go somewhere. Again, Philippi, and he's in Rome, there was no way to get there unless you went by ship. He's telling them, I understand that there wasn't anyone going on a missionary journey except for Apathros who did come and he brought money. And so he's reminding them that he understands. But I want you to see a couple of things in this verse, verse 10. How does the verse start out? What are the first five words? I rejoice in the Lord. Paul doesn't directly thank the Philippian church. He does thank them. But first he realizes that it's God that he needs to be joyful because of individuals will let him down. And we do. We let people down. Like I said, the Philippian church did send him money, but he is joyful and rejoicing in the Lord because he knows that God will take care of his need. And he understands it is God that will supply his need. And that's why he's joyful. And then he goes on and finishes this verse by saying, that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's not implying that they don't care. He wants them to understand that he knew before they were even able to send someone that they lacked opportunity. And that opportunity was to care for Paul. But they wanted to care for Paul because they understood the ministry. They understood the mission that Paul was on, that God had sent him on, and they believed in it. So as my second point, I think, is that we should thank God in our circumstances, just like Paul did, because Paul understood who was going to ultimately supply his need. First, he trusted God no matter what, and second, he thanked God in his circumstances. Now, if Paul was writing this today, he would probably write it in modern-day English to say, I have realized that even though I may not see what I need in my hand, I know that God still loves me and people still care for me and that God will provide what I need to my hand. Paul shows us that even though there's a period of time or he wouldn't have worded it the way he did, that his support didn't come along, that he wasn't worried about God. He was patient enough to wait and see it through that God would send what he needed. And you and I need to learn from that, that God works on the right timeline. Now, we have our own timeline because we have a smaller perspective. Remember, God lives through eternity. We have an image of time that is just a blip. 
we are told in the Bible that we are just like, you know, a mist in the morning. James 4.14 tells us that. In the New Living Translation, it says your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. The ESV says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So again, the Bible teaches us that when we look at time compared to eternity, it is nothing. And so Paul shows us that even in the periods of time where support or whatever we need in our hand doesn't come immediately, that we are to be patient enough and wait and see it through. Listen to what Matthew 7.11 says. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So right here, the Bible tells us that we are evil people. We are evil by nature. And if we know how to give good gifts to our children, then how much more will our Heavenly Father give to us? A lot of times, the separation between what you need and what you have is just the opportunity that hasn't been presented yet to the person who's going to fulfill that need. God hasn't put them along on his timeline for that opportunity to be known. Psalms 34.10 says, The young lion lacks and suffers hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What we need to learn and understand today is that if we feel like we're missing something, if we're going through something and we don't feel like we have the support we need, we need what? Trust God. That's what Paul did. Two, we need to understand he's working it out and his time is perfect. It's never late. It's never early. It's always on time. And as we wait and we wait patiently like Paul did, we've got to understand to be content in that state and understand that God is good. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. I really don't want to make this lesson about money, but I will give an example of this. My daughter, who had taken a job in Florida, was going to move down here where we're living now. While we were in Mississippi, a hailstorm came through and it totaled out her car. Now, her car, if she had sold it, would not have given her the amount of money that she was given from the insurance company. And so she was able to upgrade her car. She was able to get a better car. And God was able to provide that, and who would have thought it would have come through a hailstorm? My point to that story is just because you don't have it in your hand doesn't mean that God doesn't have it in his plan. God has a plan to supply that need, and we have to be patient. Now let me talk to the other side of the people. Maybe today you showed up and you don't have a need at the moment. Well, maybe you are the one that God will send to supply that need. Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. See, God rarely drops money from the sky. He usually prompts his people to give to those who are praying about a need. And maybe God has laid something on your heart. Maybe God is showing you someone and saying, you need to take care of that person. Again, I'll give a quick example. I was on a mission trip in Romania with my brother and his church. I remember plainly we were visiting this old church and you know, built back in like 1400. It's, it's a beautiful church. There was a lady sitting out on the bench and the Lord told me to give this woman everything I had in my pocket. I heard it almost like he spoke to me. But I kept thinking, Lord, I need that money. I'm on a mission trip. I, I'm, I'm going to need to buy food. I'm going to need to do other things. And, and I kept hearing, give the money to the woman. So I couldn't speak 
the language that they spoke over there. So I grabbed our translator and I, we went over to the woman and I gave her the money. And the thing that was so amazing is that she was sitting out of that church praying that God would send someone to help pay a way for her to get home. She, had, Her husband had been in the hospital and she had no way to get home and it was too far to walk. The Lord was telling me, I'm the one that was to rain down the money that we expect to come out of the sky. So my point to the other half of the room is, are you someone that God's answer is going to come from and you just haven't provided it yet? Now look what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both abound and to suffer need. He says, I am grateful for your money, but I don't necessarily need your money. God will provide, and I'm content until God does provide. That is true spiritual maturity right there. This is a powerful statement. I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content. Now, when I think about Paul, this, this guy's been through a lot. I mean, he's no slacker. This guy's been through a lot. Paul was stoned. He was left for dead. He was beaten with rods three times. He was whipped with 39 lashes five times. He was attacked by angry mobs. He had many death threats. He was bitten by a snake. He almost drowned in a boat that sank. Paul had plenty of reasons to worry about his life. But that's not what he does. Paul says, I am content in any situation, for Christ is my strength. Paul understood because of his stance for the ministry that he was going to suffer persecution. And we will too if we make a stand for Christ. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who deserve to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, understand it hated me first. Paul endured persecution because of his stand for Christ, and we will too. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul went through it. Jesus went through it. His disciples went through it. And if you and I are a disciple of Jesus Christ, we will go through it. And as you start to understand what I'm telling you right now, then that makes that statement that I told you that Paul said so powerful and such mature statement in spirituality that I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I'm about to probably stomp on some toes, but you know, it's pretty tough when some of us go through the petty stuff we go through and we can't seem to get it or pull it all together. I mean, explain to the folks that lived back in Paul's day about how you couldn't make it because your washing machine quit working. I'm not saying that that wasn't an inconvenience. I'm not saying that that wasn't tough. But we should be able to pull it together and live differently to those of the world that are watching us. I mean, I get it. It's a hard life. Life is hard. There are bumps in the road. There have been times when I was going through some stuff and I'm not sure that I've said it the right way. I definitely said, I'm not sure I can make it. I feel like quitting. I feel like throwing in the towel. I've been right where I'm stomping on toes, and so I'm stomping on mine as well. I want to have the heart of Paul. I want to be content no matter what state I'm in. I'm not trying to be holier than thou. I'm not asking for persecution. 
But I want to have the heart of Paul that when I face a challenge, when I face persecution, when I feel like God is sending me through a storm, that I'm content because I know that God is with me. And when we can start learning to walk like that, that's much better. That is a different life than the whims of the world. The world will look at you and start asking, how can you have that peace and contentment, the peace that passes all understanding, that perfect peace that we were talking about at the beginning of this lesson that we studied over the last couple of weeks? How can you have that while you're going through what you're going through? When I was in the visitation part of the ministry at Cross Gates Baptist Church, I would go to the different hospitals and visit people in the hospital that were either a part of Crossgates or somehow associated with it. Maybe a loved one gave us their name. I remember walking into a room and a man was dying. He was on his deathbed with cancer. And as I talked to him and asked him about how he was prepared for what he faced, I remember his answer to me was he had the same peace. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to the other side. I, I would not have chose this, but I'm ready. And I want my family who doesn't know the Lord to see my strength in the Lord through this adversity. And what came from his death was three members from his family came to know the Lord because of the way he lived his final days. And so we should be like Paul no matter what state we're in, no matter what we're facing, we should be content and understand that God is going to deliver us. I get it. Some of you showed up today and you feel like God pressed the pause button on the VCR or your DVR of your life. Maybe you're feeling like you've been here for a long time. You're stuck. Like he's taking too long to get you to where you need to be. We have to understand that God's timetable is not the same as ours. Sometimes God makes us wait on him so that we'll turn our eyes to him in our time of need. Sometimes God has to knock us down to make us look up. Some of us need to learn that we should be turning our eyes to God all the time. Again, listen to what the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. The Bible is telling us to be patient and wait on the Lord. Just like the farmer can't speed anything up, that he's patient through the process, that it will produce fruit from the earth, we need to be patient on the Lord that he is faithful and will produce the fruit that we need. Well, hopefully you understood that we need to trust God no matter what. We need to thank God in our circumstance. We need to be content in our circumstance. We need to let God use us to minister to someone. We need to be on the flip side, not always receiving, but giving. And we need to be content in all situations. But then the most famous verse, but sometimes used out of context, is verse 13. So look at verse 13 with me real quick. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If someone came up to you and said this, you'd probably think they're very vain or self-reliant. And that's not what Paul's trying to get through here. He knows exactly where he receives his strength from. He understands it's a relationship with Jesus Christ and that it was through that strength that he's able to do all things, that he's able to take on whatever circumstance that life throws at him. Because he has the strength of Jesus, he has the strength of the Holy Spirit. Not because he's some 
superhero person. And a lot of times we try to apply this to everything. And again, we can't read people's mind. We can't fly through the air. That's a superhero thing. This was about being content in a situation because we have to look at the context in which it was written. And so it says that we can endure anything that's thrown at us through our relationship with Jesus Christ and his strength. Whatever situation, we can rise above the anxiety. We can rise above the worry and be content. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 10, it tells us in the New Living Translation, So refuse to worry, but keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with the whole life before you is meaningless. In other words, what the Bible's telling us here, worry is not healthy. Even as a young person, we need to be careful. We need to be content. We need not worry. And we do that through God's strength. When we take this verse and the meaning to it based on the context, then when Paul says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then it's applied to economic matters. It's a matter of living, the fluctuations of life. And to interpret this verse any other way is out of context. Also, Paul shows us where his dependency is. And it's in the power of Jesus. See, he knew and understood that where Jesus led him, there was his power. Through the will of God, he had power. But when he was out of the will of God, he was operating in his own strength. Many people that misapply this verse hope that it covers all the actions that they do. They want this blanket promise of power, but power only comes in the will of God and submitting to his plans. Again, put it in modern day English, Paul gives us a paradox. Paul says, I'm only strong when I am weak because it is my reliance on him and my dependence on him. It's just the opposite of what you would think. When we're self-reliant, when we're trying to do it ourselves, we're actually at our weakest moment. I'm getting to the end of my time, so let me summarize this really in three main statements. We have to have contentment, and that is learned through experience. Paul knew what it meant to have plenty, to be blessed, but he also knew what it meant to have nothing. Throughout his life, he had lived at both ends of the spectrum. He knew how to get along, how to live, and how to be content, regardless of wealth or poverty, because he had lived through both of those. And like Paul, we live and learn through our experiences. That's why older folks tell the young folks, hey, don't rush through life. Take time, slow down, appreciate where you are now. Enjoy this season of life. The second thing is our contentment comes when we receive Jesus, and it's received through Jesus. Paul tells us in verse 13 that Jesus was the source of the strength that allowed him to be content in any situation that he went through. And he's the source of our strength and our contentment as well. Without Jesus, we don't truly have a hope of being content. Sure, we can be content when things are good, but without him, can we be content when things go bad? when things begin to crater around us. And last, we need to share our contentment with others. See, when we have Jesus in our life, we no longer chase that shiny object. We no longer worship the wallet. We find our contentment and we are willing to share what we have to bless others. We can be that blessing to others. The Philippians realize the value of the gift that they had given. And you know what? We can have that same blessing if we're willing to help our brother or sister in need. We live in a world that tells you that you don't have enough. 
The pursuit of happiness is more and more. But that's only a temporary pleasure. When we buy into that lie, it just makes us work a little harder. It makes us buy things that we really don't need. It makes us chase after a shiny object. But our fulfillment is when we follow what the Lord teaches us. Our contentment is in the Lord. And through our contentment, we have his strength. Let me close with this final thought. You've probably been to a circus and you've seen the flying trapeze artists. But there is a special relationship between the flyer and the catcher. The flyer is the one that let goes of the bar and he hangs out in the air until the catcher swings over and catches him. I hope you can see this is a very important relationship. If the flyer doesn't let go, the catcher can't catch him. And if the catcher doesn't catch the flyer, then the flyer is going to hit the ground or the net, whatever is below him. When the flyer is swinging above the crowd, there is this moment when he has to let go. And then he's just dangling him in the air and he's waiting for a period of time. The flyer has one purpose at this point, and it's to remain still with their arms out until the catcher arrives and catches them. Some of you listening to me are thinking, God, I'm just hanging out. I'm dangling in midair. And if you don't catch me soon, I'm going to hit the net or the ground. I'm going to lose a job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose a car. I'm going to crash and burn. But your responsibility that I am here to tell you today is not to wave your arms. It's not to scream or to go into panic. If you're willing to wait on God today, your responsibility is just to wait and be still and know that God is going to catch you, to be content in your current situation, and God has got you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you down. Can you truly say that you're content in every situation? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this lesson today. Lord, we thank you for this book of Philippians. And Lord, we thank you that Paul is teaching us how we can have that perfect peace in no matter what situation we face. Lord, your word teaches us that we're going to go through persecution. We're going to go through trials. We are going to ride the ups and downs of life. Lord, I pray right now that you would just help us to be content, to keep our arms up and waiting on you because you are going to catch us no matter the situation that we're in. Lord, help us understand that we are going to trust you no matter what. And we're going to give you thanks ahead of time. We expect, because your word teaches us, that you will take care of us, that you will help us in all our circumstances. Lord, let us remember to go to you first. And Lord, help us to remember that sometimes you need us and we need to listen to you so that we can minister to someone on your behalf. Lord, show us who that is that you want us to help. But most of all, Lord, let us remember that we can only do these things when we have our hope in you. We can do all things through you and your strength. Lord, I pray for the one right now, Lord, that showed up and they need some help. Lord, they need something. Lord, let them be like that trapeze artist and let them understand that even though it's hard to wait on you to be content and trust in you that you will catch them. Lord, maybe there's one that's never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today they would admit they're a sinner. They would understand that they need a Savior. Lord, that they would uh, believe in your finished work on the cross. Lord, that they would believe on you overcoming the grave and giving us that blessed eternal hope. And Lord, they would confess with their mouth and they would commit with their mouth to chase and follow after you that you are Lord of their life. 
Lord, I pray right now that they would do that and they would be saved. We thank you for the blessings and each and every one that's listening to me today. I pray a blessing over them. In Jesus' name, amen.